In this episode, I'm joined by Alejandro Chaul, PhD, author, meditation teacher, and Huffington Foundation Endowed Director of the Mind Body Spirit Institute at the Jung Center of Houston. Alejandro is an expert in Salong Trulkor, also known as Tibetan Yoga, and in this episode we discover the practices and encounters that kindled Alejandro's fascination with this subject. We learn about Alejandro's travels through India and his encounters with gurus such as Yuji Krishnamurti, Namkai Norbu, and the exorcist and weathermaker Nakpa Yeshe Dorje. Alejandro reveals the details of his path and practice, his entry into academia, and recounts stories of his personal relationships with many great teachers. And I ask him about the specific dietary recommendations for yogis and the tantric practice of breath retention. So without further ado, Dr. Alejandro Chau. Alejandro Chaul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. So you are well known for your popularizing of Talung Trulkor under the Lingmincha banner, as well as your work in Chud and other topics like that. And we'll, we'll touch on those topics later. But I'm curious, how was it that you became interested in these topics in meditation and so on? Can you tell us something of your early background? Sure. And then we'll get back to that word popularizing. Uh, but um, so... I got really interested um, in first, actually, my interest began with meditation. Um, and then as I was getting into meditation, and this was kind of high school time for me back in Argentina, and uh, that's where I'm originally from. And, um, and then I, I traveled um, to the U.S. Uh, to, as a transfer student uh, during my college time. And that's when I started realizing all the different kinds of meditation, like Zen meditation. And, you know, uh, I, I, I met a group of Hare Krishna, which who taught me to uh, cook vegetarian, but also their kind of mantra teachings and um, practice. But also I started noticing more about yoga and Tai Chi and Qigong, so movements. And, and, and those became quite useful for me in my practice. And, um, and so through that, I, I, I started having an interest in those. Um, and then it was uh, through Namkai Norb Rinpoche, one of uh, my Tibetan teachers who came to Argentina. And actually, we have a, a center in Argentina, Tashigar, now called Tashigar Sur, South. Um, and, um, and he, uh, through one of his students, uh, Fabio Andrico, uh, they started teaching the, the what he called Yantra Yoga, right? It was a kind of a transliteration or kind of a Sanskritization back uh, from uh, Trungkor, which is the Tibetan uh, word. And the, the text that he used was uh, the Nida Kajor, the uh, sun and moon Trungkor, the union and sun and moon. And so I really got really interested in that. And particularly because there were movements that were related to the practice that I was doing. And that made a lot of sense. It was, it, was, it was difficult for me to do Tai Chi and then do a Tibetan meditation or do a Hatha yoga and then do it. So for me, I'm not saying for other people, it seems fine, but so I, I, I really enjoyed this kind of possibility of having movement-based practices that were related to what I was, what's my main practice. And so that was really the open, the opener. Um, and then um, 
when I was visiting, actually in a in a retreat that um, the Namka Rinpoche did in Nepal in ninety one, I believe it was ninety two. Um, so I was there, and um, my other teacher, who had just actually who Namka Nobru had sent me to study with, uh, Lopon Tenzin Namdak, who's Tenzin Wanja Rinpoche's teacher. Um, he has a, a monastery, Chita Nobutsu, in Nepal, and we were at the Vajra Hotel, which is not too far. And so I went to visit him, and he said, you need to stay with us at the monastery. And so I stayed, and while I was staying there, there was a, a monk that just came from Amdo, and uh, and he was teaching, he was going to teach the Trungkor, and a few of us, we were four people from actually the retreat from Namtan Rinpoche, and, um, and someone said, I would love to do it. Do you guys want to do it? And I said, sure. And so um, that was the beginning. And it was really interesting because in a few days, I think it was in four days, he went over this whole text, which is 40 movements of the Shangshun Ninju, uh, or the oral tradition of uh, Shangshun. Um, and we, you know, it was very different than doing uh, yoga in the West. There was no mats. It was a hard floor. Uh, and some, you know, some of the movements, we do this BEP. We can talk about that later. But in any case, um, that was another opening into this whole other tradition of Tibetan yoga or Trungkor. And, um, and that was another eye-opener. Um, and uh, particularly because... Again, for me, it's always about how how it fits with my practice. How does it make sense with my practice? And by then, I had been uh, with Lopun Tenzin Namdak and Tenzin Wanjur Rinpoche, and I was going deeper into that burn tradition. And um, and this Trungkor made a lot of sense. And even though I was still doing uh, the Nondro practice from um, Enigma uh, teacher from um uh, Dujom Dujom Tersars, so from Dujom Rinpoche, but I never met Dujom Rinpoche. I was doing it through my teacher um Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche, uh, who I mentioned in my Che text particularly. Um and so um so yeah I began doing Trunkor every day and and that was it changed my life. And so since then I I really became really interested for me and, and, and the experiences that, that helped me have. And so when I went back to the States, so by then I was back in Argentina, when I came back to the States and I told <clears throat> Tenzin Wander in Pache about my experience with Trunkor, he said, that is fabulous. Let's go, let's meet every morning at five in the morning and let's go over the text. And this was Shartzar in Pache's um, uh, commentary um, on the um, Shangshu Ninju Trungkor. And so that became kind of something that was very, very important for me. And then Rinpoche asked me to start teaching it just in the retreat context. This was a summer retreat back in 94, I believe. Um, and, then, um, and then he said, maybe there's parts that you can teach more openly. And so I was living in Charlottesville then. I was doing my master's at the University of Virginia. And so I taught in a place called Living Yoga. And um, <laughs> and it was funny because um, 
I, I did it for free and I said there's 12 sessions and I said, but um, it's free, but you have to have a commitment to be here at least for 11 of the 12. And the next session I had half the people and someone said, well, you said the C word, commitment. Um, so um, that's why, and then from them, uh, from there, um, we started doing more retreats on it and yeah, being more open. Uh, but but yes, we, we can talk more about popularizing or just being a little more open with it uh, within uh, certain contexts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's fa fascinating. It actually raises a, a question that I was meaning to ask you. You've written that you were born into a Jewish family in Catholic Argentina, went to a Presbyterian school <laughs> and married a Catholic woman. And then you ended up being a Buddhist, but now you're a Bumpo. And so I'm curious what it was, given that you had, I suppose, to varying degrees, exposure to uh, those different stra strains or strands of religious uh, systems. What was it that clicked for you with the Bum uh, system or the Bumpo lineage? In fact, you were with Namkan Orbu for some time. You mentioned you're studying Tujum Tersar with the uh, Nagpur Dorje also, but you've ended up primarily, uh, at least it appears, um, working within the Bund tradition. So I'm curious what it was about those previous iterations or previous exposures that uh, didn't work for you, if you do you think, and what it was about the Bund lineage that really clicked for you? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, you know, in, I would say that one of the things I always felt a need, and, 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 and it really um, became more clear when I was in college, and one of the things that I studied was philosophy. And I was really attracted to this teacher-student relationship. So particularly uh, in that time, the Greeks, right? So Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and... And I really felt, wow, this whole academia, you know, the which actually uh, I, I got to go to, uh, I, I did get to uh, go to Greece and go to the academia, and it was such a special place. It's like your temple, right? Um, so there was something on that. And one of the things I noticed in, in most of my other incursions uh, with... Um, with different uh, teachings is that it was centered about around one teacher um, but I didn't really get to see the whole lineage although I have to say always lineage was important and 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 and, and for me uh, that was important to hear um, and one thing that I uh, you know uh, I skipped there of mentioning that when I went to India looking actually for a teacher um, my first incursion was in Hinduism um, and, um, you know, I met uh, Yuji Krishnamurti, so not JD, not the famous one, uh, but, but, but he was really, uh, um, really instrumental in, in a way, dismantling uh, and crumbling my whole philosophical ideas of being right here, and he was about just be. But I didn't know how to be, so I left, and then I went to... Uh, um, Swami Chinmayananda, and and he was he was wonderful. 
Um, but also I had been a little bit with the Tibetans and that's really what attracted me. This was 1989. I remember seeing in the Indian newspaper that the Dalai Lama had recently gotten the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, and uh, the moment I saw that, I was so happy, like my mom or my dad had gotten the Nobel Peace Prize. And so I went to, to meet him. And so I did go, uh, the, the Buddhist tradition was always very important. And, and what's interesting is for me, when I kind of shifted in a way from Buddhism to Bern, I didn't even feel it. It was, it was a shift um, as much, at least not as a tradition. Uh, it was a tradition, but it was not kind of a religious shift as much as it was from Judaism to, to Buddhism. Um, and in fact, I even when, when I started practicing, when I came back from Nepal and I started practicing uh, uh, Buddhism at home, doing my nondro, we were... We brought, uh, I was part of the group that brought His Holiness the Dalai Lama to, to Argentina. And I remember when people asked me, well, are you Buddhist? I would say, no, I'm Jewish, I, but I practice Buddhism. So I was kind of culturally Jewish, but practice Buddhism. And the time that I said for the first time that I was Buddhist, uh, we were organizing this interfaith um, meeting for His Holiness, and um, and we were in the back of the main cathedral in Buenos Aires, which is the capital of Argentina, um, and it's the main cathedral there. And Monsignor Cuarracino, big guy who now passed away, but you know, and I was twenty five, I believe, and he said, "Vos pibe," which means like you kid, um, are you a Buddhist? And I looked at him. I said, yeah, I am a Buddhist. So I always say that it was thanks to the blessings of Monsignor Cuarracino that I became a Buddhist, right? He kind of, I took refuge with him in a way. Um, so, so, you know, so since then, I really became more in that practicing. And when, and the shift, if, you know, if, if I would say the shift from Buddhism to Bern, for me was, it was part of that same gyatso and that same lake, that same lake of wisdom. So I don't see it as that separate. However, as I was with Namkai Norbu Rinpoche after Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche, he passed away in 93, unfortunately. Uh, but I still continue doing the non uh, as as he taught me, um, because it took me seven years to finish it. Um, and then as I was with Namkai Norbu Rinpoche, I got very involved in the Dzogchen community. Um, and uh, and he told me when we were in, in 91, um, when we were organizing the visit of His Holiness to Argentina, he said, you need to meet Lopon Tenzin Namdak. And Lopon was giving a talk right before His Holiness. There were the teachers of five Tibetan traditions, which is another way of, for me, of also saying it was not like four Buddhists and one Bompo. It was five Tibetan traditions. That's how I saw it. And so I went to see Lopun, and it was like, wow. And uh, so I followed him as long as I could while I, I still had a, a visa to stay in the United States. Then I came back to Argentina. And then I met Tenzin Wandering Pache a couple of years later in 93. And then he told me that he was organizing this summer program um, and that he was bringing Lopun. 
was like, wow. So I was actually doing uh, my studies in uh, Tibetan language at, at UVA in the summer. And I dropped that um, um, to be with my teachers. And the moment I saw them teaching together, um, it was amazing. It was like that whole lineage of teacher-student kind of lit up. Actually, I, I mentioned that in my in this upcoming book. I mean, it really transformed me. It was like, this is it. It was so clear. It was, it, it reminded me, you know, when I was in India, kind of searching, uh, someone told me, you know, dig in many holes until you reach the water. And when you reach the water, keep on digging. And that was it. For me, that was the water. It was very clear. Having said that, when I do my Guru Yoga with Tapiritsa as the union of all enlightened beings, all my teachers are there. Um, and so, but yeah, the main one, as you can see here, is Lopun under Tapiritsa. <laughs> That's very interesting. I'm curious if you could say something more about your encounter with Yuji Krishnamurti, infamous with his, yeah. uh, your experience, your account there of being dismantled by him, I think is in keeping with his reputation. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious if you could talk a bit about that. Did you meet him personally? You had personal time? With yeah, him? yeah, it was, story? It, was, it was really interesting. I was, um, so <clears throat> after I, so when I, when I read the paper of His Holiness being awarded the, the Nobel Peace Prize, this was, I was in Srinagar in, 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 in the Kashmir area of, of India. And so I, I decided I went back to Delhi, and he was coming. His Holiness was coming, and, and and so there was a a talk, and I was next to so I was by myself. So I was next to this Indian guy, and he, this Indian guy said, "Oh, you need to come to meet my teacher. This is you know Yuji Krishnamurti. You should you will love him." I said, "Sure." And so he said, "Oh, come with me." And so we went to his apartment. And uh, and we were I don't know twenty it was a, it was a small group and uh, and yeah he started teaching and it was like wow and um, I actually kept on going uh, for a few days I think I stayed three days with them um, and the initial part was great it was this really as I you know expressed it this dismantling of of all this burden of, of philosophical stuff. But then, you know, yes, as he said, just be, which in a way was great, but in a way wasn't for me at that time because I didn't know how to be. Um, and, um, and he didn't give me any techniques. And so it was just, yeah, just be. And I would ask him this way or that way. And it was like, almost like, bouncing a ball back you know when you play tennis against a wall and the ball bounces back that's how i felt with him so there wasn't and um i think if i would meet him today it would be very different uh but at that time i i, I didn't know what what to do with that um and so i left and and what's interesting is that when i met the tibetans and they told me about the nondro. I know many Westerners feel that the nondro is such a burden. 
I found it as such a relief because it was, here's a path. Yes, it will take long. It's like jumping into the river. The river will get into the ocean sometime. You will get a lot of winding. And so for me, finding the nondro was kind of exactly what I needed after UG. You know, so UG's experience was, okay, clear all that stuff and now just be. I couldn't be. So the Tibetans gave me a way of slowly getting into understanding what it is to be. My friend Terry gave me a graphic novel about Yuji Krishnamurti. I don't know if you've ever seen this graphic novel. No, no, I'd love to see it. Yeah, I didn't know such things existed, but it's this comic book, basically, of Yuji Krishnamurti's life. And, you know, he had a lot of uh, iconic, I suppose, encounters with other gurus, including Judah Krishnamurti, of course, right. uh, to quite humorous and, um, I suppose... <laughs> A scandalous effect. Uh, they really went towards strips out of each other, particularly Yuji, I think, towards Judo. It's presented in a very comical way, but uh, very fascinating. That's interesting that you had an encounter with him. Yeah, yeah. I, I And and I consider it a, a very important encounter in my spiritual journey. Uh, it was very, even though it was brief, um, it was it was significant. Yeah. I'm curious how, how you came to meet Nagba Yeshadorje, the Dalai Lama's weathermaker, as he's called, uh, yeah. exorcist, par excellence, weathermaker, rain starter and rain stopper. Fascinating he, story. He was here. So, go on. Yeah. And, I, you know, it was also another coincidence. You know, I mean, my time, my, my first trip to India, it was a, it was a trip that it was it was kind of a search and I went thinking I would stay three months and I stayed almost um, a year. I think it was nine, nine or 10 months. And, and so, and I had no agenda. Um, luckily I had a very good friend um, in, in Bombay, Nemes actually, whose birthday is today. Um, and, um, and he, that would be my home base of operations, right? So I would leave stuff there and then I would travel this way and then come back to Bombay and then go. And, and so, um, in one of my trips, as I as I mentioned, when I was in, in, in the area of Kashmir and Ladakh, and I heard about the Dalai Lama being the Nobel Peace Prize, and I, I saw I saw a movie uh, called Heart of Tibet, um, and it was interesting. I was with my Muslim family that I was staying with in Pampur, and uh, we watched that, and I said, yeah, I, I do need to meet this man. And so I, I traveled to Dharamsala, and when I was in Dharamsala, um, although there were hotels, some few kind of guest houses, um, I, I traveled and someone, someone mentioned, I think, um, you know, they have a room in this monastery that they, they may rent or they may give you. And so I went up, this was Silongkagiling Monastery, and that is Nagpa Yeshidorje's uh, monastery. He wasn't there, actually, but his son, uh, Karma Sonam, was there. And so, um, and so... He offered me a room, and so I stayed. And then um, it was great because they were uh, doing a, a three-year retreat. There was, there was a, a small group of people, and amongst them, um, one of them, Karma Lundrup, uh, became kind of my spiritual friend. Uh, we would meet. He was the only one who really spoke English. Uh, uh, well, and Karma Sonam did some too. And, and so I would speak to them. Um, and as I was going back down to the library of Tibetan archives down the road, 
um, around 20, 30 minutes down and up. And so every day or two days, I would meet with Karma Lundup. I'm, I'm still in touch with in what in uh, in Facebook with him. Um, and, um, and 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 that became very important. And then what happened is, um, well, I traveled out and then I came back and I came back for Losar and by then um, Yeshadorje, Nakba Yeshadorje had come back from the States and uh, and they invited me for in Losar at four o'clock in the morning to meet him. And um, and they had that chango, which is that hot chang with, you know, uh, with rice and stuff in. And I was there and first of all, he impacted me. He had this incredible smile and he had this long hair with, you know, a text tied here and and um yeah and, and then so so that was my first meeting with him he didn't speak basically any english or spanish of course um and so it was most eyes and hands and smiles and lots of smiles and his eyes were bright and um and so um we had a few interactions because i was living there and so i would you know um, actually, by then I was living in in Karma Lundrup's parents' house. I would come up um, at that time, and um, and one day he asked me to come to an initiation, um, um, and so um, I think or before that was when there was a group of three people, three Westerners, that asked for the nondro, and I wanted. I had been. So yeah, let me go back. Now I'm, my memory is getting kicked in. Uh, so um, what with with Karma Lundrup, he had told me about the Nondro and he was teaching me different, you know, very small parts. In in fact, we started even with uh, Guru Padma Sambhava's mantra first before even letting me do any other stuff. And um, and so as I was um, doing that, and so he showed me the Nondro text, and so we were. Um, learning it and, and it was the short nondro text and then when i met yesha dorje and he said okay i'll teach but i'm only going to teach it if you guys commit to finish it and so um and he said this i'm not teaching the short version i'm teaching the long version and um and so that was that was it that was the main commitment i had uh and then um i that became the main practice, my daily practice. And, and, and so I continued um, with, I, I stayed there for another couple of months before I returned then back to Bombay and then to Argentina. <clears throat> but that uh, stayed very clearly. And as I said, he had invited me to a, a Toma Nakpo, uh, um initiation. And that was very special again seeing him and having been invited to to such initiation which has to do more with chu as you know um uh, but but my connection with him was became very strong even though um after that time um i only saw him another time right before he um he passed away but i remember um i called him um he was in in uh, in San Gabriel in California, and I was in 
New York and I, I, I wanted, I was visiting a friend and I wanted to go visit him. And so I called up and, and I said, hi, Rinpoche, this is Alejandro. And he, he said, Argentina, Argentina, how are you? You know, and I said, oh, I'm doing well. I would like to go visit you. He says, he, he didn't know what to respond, but his um, wife then, uh, who uh, was from the U.S., um, Chinese-American, um, so um, uh, invited me. And so I went uh, to San Gabriel. And at that time, he said, now you can move from not just a long nondro, you can alternate with the short nondro. Um, by then, it's been, what, three years that I was doing it or so. Um, and um, and that was the, the last time I saw him. That was probably um, 92, early 93, and he passed away around summer of 93. Yeah. But I always, you know, again, um, I continued my nondro, even when other teachers would tell me, you know, are you still doing your nondro? I said, yeah, I promised my my teacher, Yeshe Dorjan Pache, that I will. Um, in terms of the part of the Rainmaker and such, um, and I did meet uh, Marsha, who wrote the book, The Rainmaker, on him. Um, but um, I, <laughs> one time he taught me some of the practices of, of rainmaking and rain stopping, but um, I remember trying once and was totally unsuccessful. So I didn't continue with that part of, of the teaching. Having completed that Dujom Tersar Nundro, uh, did you go any further with the Dujom Tersar, or did you just consider that practice obligation fulfilled and then move on to your Dzogchen studies? You know, I actually wanted, um, and there was going to be um, a whole uh, Dujom Tersar initiation um, with uh, Trulshi Rinpoche, um, and it was going to be in Dharamsala. And it was going to be, I think, a three month long, you know, so he would. And um, and I was planning to go, but then uh, Trulchi Rinpoche got sick and, and uh, that never happened. Um, so never really continued with uh, that tradition. And it was more or less around that same time. 93 was, uh, I mean, it was an incredible year because it was the same as Yesha Dorja Rinpoche then also passed away. Um, uh, and then it was that summer where I mentioned that I saw together um, um, Lopun Tenzi Namdak and Tenzi Wanja Rinpoche. And so at that time, I, I was like, okay, this is clear. This is it. Yeah, so it might have been a sense of different things colliding or coinciding. Mm. May I ask you a bit about Namkai Norbu? Sure. So Namkai Norbu, I'm curious what your relationship with him was. Another remarkable teacher. I mean, that's perhaps an understatement. Something I've heard some of his students fetch about, if I can use the Yiddish, or at least uh, lament, is such a popular teacher, such an influential teacher, so many students. And so therefore difficult to ever have any personal contact with him. I'm curious if you ever had any personal contact with him. And if so, what you can report from that. Yeah, I, I again, I was very fortunate there. Um, and what happened was, um, so he was coming to Argentina. I think this was his second visit. It was when they bought the land uh, that became Tashigar. Um, 
and um, he was doing a, a series of talks in in Buenos Aires. So Tashigar is in kind of more inland, in in a place in in Cordoba, in in, in the and the how you say sierras in the hills of of Cordoba, in a place called Tanti, and. Um, and so uh, he was giving before he came, you know, of course, through the capital and um, and some and, and I, I don't remember what happened to the original translator um, that couldn't do it. And so they said, could you translate for him? And I said, um, sure. And I was, you know, it was interesting because I was not planning to go to the main retreat then in Tashigar. I was just but but I said, of course, you know, I mean, if I if I can, you know, and um, and so it was from English to Spanish, and you know he has a a very interesting uh, accent, you know we all do, uh, and I love you know he because he his first place where he learned any Western language was Italian, so he had this Italian, and so Argentina also has a lot of Italian, both in terms of influence, but how we speak, and you know so so there's a lot of that. So um, so yeah, I translated for him, and it was like. Wow, I need to go to the retreat, and so then I went to the retreat, and um, and at the retreat, it, it, it was it, he was so direct in his teachings, um, and um, I translated some of that. I think later I translated more for him. Anyways, I um, so but at that at that retreat at the end they were kind of choosing the what they would call the gangchil or the the people that would serve to you know kind of the administrating part all volunteers of course for for the Dzogchen community in Argentina and particularly in Buenos Aires and and um and they put my name and I said I just started they said no no but I think you should do it and and so then they have to to choose who who will lead that part in Buenos Aires, and so we all put our names and we throw it in a ball. So Namka Norban Pache would choose, and he looks at me with this devious, you know, look, and he says, "You pick." And so I pick it, and it's my own name. And so I'm like, "Oh, come on!" And so. Uh, we started, you know, it, it became a really uh, beautiful uh, relationship. Um, but he was really uh, strict in many in many things, you know. Um, so, for example, I was since I had come back from India, I was a vegetarian, and we would be eating, and you know, sometimes partly because I would translate for him, and you know, I would be sitting next to him, and he would grab. You know, with his fork, he would grab a piece of beef, typical in Argentina, of course, and put it in my plate. He knows I'm vegetarian, right? And so I'm like, he says, go beyond, beyond limitations. We would be together. I remember one of the last days he was in that first trip uh, that, um, that I met him. We were in, in the house of a, of a friend of mine, uh, and uh, he decided to cook. And uh, and we were Fabio, him and I, and uh, he cooked chapale, which is kind of these um, meat, if you would say in Argentina, meat empanada, you know, and uh, that's it. It's fried dough and meat. And again, 
that's all he cooked. So, you know, so he would be kind of pushing the boundaries. He would also be pushing me in um, things like, do you, you know, why are you doing your nondro? Tell me. So, um, or, you know, I would go to him, you know, and I would do my prostrations and he would say, I don't, I don't need prostrations. And I would say, I know, I do. Um, so we would have a, you know, a good, uh, I, I, I really value, I mean, his, his teachings and also in how to integrate into daily life. I, I got to translate uh, for him for different retreats after that. I, um, um, and, um, and yeah, when he asked me to, to go meet Lopen, I mean, I, I thought it was quite clear. Um, but then I, I still, then he, um, he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and so, um, I would go visit him in New York, uh, where he was staying. And, um, and one time I, uh, I actually, um, organized, a a visit of uh, him with Tenzi Wanjur Rinpoche. Tenzi Wanjur Rinpoche, as you may know, you know he he did spend a lot of time with him in 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 uh, Italy, and, and and then he started his own. So it was it was nice to be the three of us in that apartment in New York, um, and um, and there was one more retreat. Um, then I think I. I saw him, yeah, I, th I think I think the last time I saw him, no, I went I, I went to see him once more in in Argentina, but um, yeah, um, and then I actually um, keep in touch um, as a little bit with the community. I recently did a talk for the Tzolchen community in Argentina, um, and I'm in touch with his niece, uh, uh, Punzo Wamo, a great uh, Tibetan doctor. Uh, and uh, director of the Shangsheng Institute. So he's still, um, again, very part of my life. If, you know, you would see my altar back over there, you know, both uh, Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche's photos there, Duncan Rob Rinpoche's photos there, and uh, yeah. You talked about this shift facilitated by the Monsignor uh, to, to declaring yourself a Buddhist. And of course, that was something that have been in, the, in that process, of, I suppose, for quite some time. I'm curious what it meant to you to say that and what it has meant for you to convert to Buddhism from Judaism. Yeah. So, you know, um, so first of all, so in Judaism, I I never really, well, except I guess when I was 13, 13 and I did my bar mitzvah, I never really felt being a, you know, a practitioner, like, I, you know, I mean, um, the, the ritual, the um, kind of more the home rituals, you know, being a, at home for the different holidays now by Zoom, like now with Pesach, Passover, and we did a, a Zoom and, you know, and so, and I'm happy to include some of the things and, you know, and, and have matzah and have it with my mom and my dad, you know, so, so, so that is fine. But I don't really uh, practice uh, Judaism. And, um, and so when I was, as I said, I was practicing Buddhism, uh, when I was saying that I'm Jewish, 
it was Jewish, you know, I was born Jewish. Um, so I, it wasn't something that I, I chose, but you know, it's like my name, you know, you have your name, then you decide, you know, you want to change it or not. But, um, so something like that, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm still very connected to it in, in that way. So what sometimes they would call, I guess, cultural Jewish, um, and now I guess what they call Jubu, right? A Jewish Buddhist. And so I, I, I think I, you know, I, um, yeah, um, when I said that, it was like by then I realized that it was not just practicing. It really made more sense to me that it was really part of my identity. Um, so, in fact, it reminds me one time many years later, uh, someone asked my sister, um, you know, what does your brother do? I mean, she says he's a Buddhist. He practices Buddhist. He teaches Buddhism. He does, you know, so <laughs> so I thought it was a, an interesting way of of, um, of of expressing that. Yeah. It walks like a duck, talks like a duck. It's probably a duck. <laughs> so what were you doing, if you don't mind me asking, for your profession during that period of time? Yeah. So, uh, so at that time, so my first, so I did two bachelor degrees, one in philosophy and one in advertising. So advertising was really what I really liked. And I was working in advertising. And then after I went to India and came back, I, um, I had, um, been in a lot of, uh, rug factories. And I really enjoyed that. And uh, a friend of my dad uh, had a, a rug company in New York, and um, and 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 they are um, Iranian Jewish, and um, and he said, you know, do you want to buy rugs for me? And I said. What? He said, well, now that you know, because we were talking, he said, oh, yeah, these are Tabris, and, you know. And so he said, yeah, you know, if you buy them, whether it's in auctions or it's in homes, you can then send them to us in New York. And so and we will train you. And, and it was great because the training was, we planned it during the time that His Holiness Dalai Lama did the Kala Chakra at the Madison Square Garden, you know. And, uh, and and their place was not too far from there. So I would go in the morning to one and then the other, you know. And so I that's what I did um, during all the time, particularly when I was planning the visit of the Dalai Lama, uh, that it took, you know, over a year to plan. And so um, I would work in the morning uh, with the rugs and then in the afternoon uh, work for um, His Holiness's visit. So how was it you came then to study at the University of Virginia? You mentioned you're studying Tibetan during the summer there, and I know they have a famous Tibetan immersion summer program, which I assume is what that was. What yeah. uh, inspired your decision to learn Tibetan, and how was that process for you? So, um, so when I was, you know, I, I came to this tradition through their practices, and I really got really interested. And then, um, you know, with with uh, Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche, I really got into the true practice. Um, um, and then, when I came to when I was with with Norbu with Namka Norbu Rinpoche 
in Argentina, and he started talking about Zhe, but then the practice was different. And I was like, wait, um, I learned this Zhe. And he's like, yeah, yeah, oh, there's many different Zhe texts. Really? And why do you all call them Zhe? I mean, I, 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 I mean, I really was coming from a place, I, 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 you know, like, why, you know? And so I started trying to understand all these different traditions and why do they have similar practices and yet there's different lineages and and that was really something that kind of you know that little bug inside that intellectual bug that wanted to learn more again and um so tibetan was there was one person in argentina gerardo abud a fantastic translator translator for his holiness translator for tsognir and um, and he taught me, you know, he, I asked him to teach and he was teaching some, but he was also very busy with other things. And so um, I decided that I wanted to learn Tibetan. And I, um, after that trip in 93, when I saw uh, both Norbu Rinpoche, but also the last time I saw Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche, I decided, I also met a, a good old friend of mine from uh, college that he said, um, aren't you interested in, in grad school? And I said, you know, maybe. And so I heard about this Tibetan program in Charlottesville and I applied, I, I, I was doing the summer, as I said, and then I applied for the, for the master's program, mostly again, to learn more about the whole understanding of where, where all this fits in a way philosophically, I guess, back again, building what UG had destroyed and um, in a good way. Uh, and uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I originally, actually, I, I applied to a master's and my master's was what's called a terminal master's program so that I wouldn't continue to my PhD and which I did not continue there. I, I, I then came to Rice to do that. Yeah. And how was the process of learning Tibetan art. Was Jeffrey Hopkins still teaching at that time? That was the nineties, right? Yeah. Jeffrey was rough with me. Um tell us the stories. It was Jeffrey and and, and David Germano and his then wife Sonam. Um and um so Sonam would teach more the colloquial. And then um when when I came in, it was a rough year because uh, for whatever reason, I was the only new student um, that year for the master's or PhD program. And so there was no one new to learn Tibetan. So I was thrown into this uh, more difficult Tibetan class and I didn't know. And yeah, and Jeffrey was rough, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, what do you mean rough? You know, he, he would be kind of, okay, you need to learn better, do the, you know, he would debate. And it was like really rough for me. And, uh, you know, outside class, he could be very nice as well. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, it was a great experience. Um, and I also had individual sessions with him. Um, and, um, and then um, it was, it was really more about, you know, textual, right? It was about translating text. And so um, trying to, to learn that. And, you know, I still actually keep in touch with some of the students of, of that time. 
Um, and so I, I learned it some, and then I came to Rice, and I continued learning some. And actually, the colloquial part, which I, I love, I, I don't have much uh, opportunity to practice. So actually, uh, lately, I started again with a good friend that is at UVA, Nawang Tokme, who's a Tibetan from Ladakh. And uh, he's uh, in the library. He's a li Tibetan librarian. And so he's been very kind to uh, teach me over Zoom. So I'm getting back into my Tibetan. As part of your MA and your PhD, you did produce translations as a key part. Right, how exactly. Were able, how were you able to do that if, or you're just being modest about your level of classical Tibetan? Well, you know, uh, there's dictionaries too. But yeah, I mean, I, I learned. I, I'm not saying I didn't learn, but I... But it, it is a difficult language, and um, and so yeah, I I, I did uh, for my masters. I translated uh, this true practice, uh, Kandogajang, or the laughter of the Dakinis, or the Kandros, or the Skygores, um, which is uh, from this great uh, teacher Shardzar Rinpoche. And actually, in my dissertation, also I I I did a translation from another text from Shardzar Rinpoche, which is uh, from the Tsarung Trungkorn from the from the um, Changchun Inju Southern Court. I'd like to ask you a bit about that. Your PhD, which you completed at Rice University, entitled Magical Movements, Tibetan Yoga from the Ancient Bone Tradition and Applications in Contemporary Medicine, which you finished in 2006. So I'm curious how that process was. And then I'd like to ask you a bit about the actual contents. Yeah, it was a rough process. Um, you know, um, it took me 10 years and it would have taken me more if they wouldn't have pushed me into finishing. Um, um, but, um, but it was also, it was also uh, a great process of learning um, a lot about both the Tibet and also other traditions. Um, I, you know, I took classes in other religious traditions and uh, met, you know, some of the students that were, learning other you know it was it was a nice place to um discuss and you know and and talk about different traditions and, and different philosophies and so it was in that way it was it was it was really good um and um and also we Tenzin and Pache had started a sangha here uh, and so uh then when he left he asked me to keep it going and so there was the practice was always there so for me all the academic part is really to support the practice. Um, I always felt it that way. So, um, in fact, I, 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 for me, just doing the academic, if I wouldn't have the practice, it would be very dry for me. Um, so, for me, that's why even the, the dissertation, the books that I write, they, they come from the, from the mat, you know, they come from from the cushion uh, to the book, right? I mean, I I practice, I you know whatever I'm doing, and then go to and then what I've put there. If if I have doubts, I bring them back to the cushion um, and and practice with that. So um, so for me, the whole academic endeavor was really related to practice, and in my dissertation. Um, it took a, a twist when, um, you know, actually in 98, uh, it was a, uh, both 
it was the year that my son was uh, born, my, um, and um, but also it was the year that both Namka Norbrumpeche and my father were diagnosed with cancer. And so uh, there was something there that I felt, wow. And through uh, Tenzi Wanderimpeche, who had already been talking to people in the medical center while he was here, a Rockefeller Fellow at Rice, which actually that was what brought me to Rice because he was at Rice. And so I said, oh, great. Um, and um, I decided to start volunteering at MD Anderson, which is a big cancer center here. And, uh, and through that, I started then doing research there. And so um, the dissertation ended up being um, a combination of a, of a translation of a text and applications, not just in, so not just as a practitioner and in teaching in, in, in Dharma centers, uh, but also in bringing this to hospitals. Yeah, that's so fascinating, that aspect of your work, which you have spoken about extensively and written about extensively. Uh, really fascinating stuff. And you're in that pilot study, which you did on, on the request of Lorenzo Cohen at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, which you've mentioned there. Really interesting. You discovered quite striking improvement in sleep quality, duration of sleep, sleep latency, and also reduction in the need for sleep medications and things like that. That study was written up in the Cancer Journal and then uh, many of the studies you've done have subsequently been published in journals, academic journals of, of various sorts. That's very fascinating work. That's something I'd like to ask you about in, in some depth, but I don't want to skim it. Uh, and I will say also that, of course, people can read your research uh, and I'll, I'll, set, I'll put links to all that in the show notes here. So if people really want to get into the work that uh, Alejandro has done with cancer and Tibetan yoga, it really is uh, very fascinating work, then uh, the links will be there. And perhaps one day in the future, we'll have another episode talking about that. Sure. Well, because it is really fascinating. Your story seems to be uh, characterized by personal relationships with teachers. Actually, most of your teachers that you've listed, including Tenzin Wangaran Pache, with whom you have an ongoing, I suppose by now, professional collaboration, as well as teacher-student collaboration. This sort of a teacher-student relationship which you mentioned was attractive to you, even in your early days of study, it's said to be very important, key in fact, in learning certain of the uh, systems that you've become adept in, including Tokchen in particular. I'm curious what you have in terms of reflections on that teacher-student relationship. You've had relationships with many great masters, and I'm curious from your side as the student, how you view that, how you make best use of that, and how you, if you want, capitalize on those kinds of opportunities, because it's one thing to meet these sorts of people, but another thing to have had such fruitful relationships with them as you have done. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel incredibly fortunate um, to have these relationships. And, um, you know, with Tenzin Wanderer and Pache, when, when we were both in Virginia and I would go in the morning to learn Tibetan and then come back and have lunch with him and we cooked together and then we washed together and then we you know, wrote and, or, you know, um, and one thing that was important, um, you know, uh, with all, with all my teachers, but, but really the one I spent more time in terms of becoming, you know, not only teachers too, but friends, you know, that we would, 
even when we would go and have a cup of, you know, a glass of wine together. For me, it was always Rinpoche. You know, I would hear people calling him Tenzin, and I always felt really weird, you know? Um, so um, I also actually, I have to admit, uh, maybe coming from Argentina, when I came to UVA, um, I was also surprised that people would call him Jeffrey rather than Dr. Hopkins. But so, so maybe it's, it's, it's part of my upbringing. Um, so, um, so, but that actually I, I breached. So my, my, my academic teachers, um, I, I call them by first name now. Um, uh, but, and, and particularly, I guess now when, you know, you both have PhDs, you, you could do that, I guess. But, but also, uh, with, but with, with Rinpoche, he's always Rinpoche, you know? So even though, and, and of course, I've been very fortunate to also host many of, one of the things that Rinpoche has done is not only bring Lopun, but other, his teachers, like Isonis Lungto Tempanima, but also others that were not his direct teachers, but his peers, and even later. And so uh, many times as they come, you know, I, I host them. But with Rinpoche, you know, this relationship of being able to, um, to discuss everything, you know, uh, personal aspects. And um, then he got married, you know, too, and he has a son and, you know, talking about married life. And, um, but, but the most important part is the teacher-student relation. So that means when and if, and in many cases it does happen. And, you know, when we, we did have uh, sometimes where, you know, we had some, arguments like humans do from the student perspective for me he was always my teacher so maybe we're at a time that we're not going out for coffee together or we're not having a glass of wine together that doesn't mean that he's not my teacher and that I had learned earlier on about this concept and but there I lived it and it was it was very important it was a it was a um, growing pain uh, um, and uh, that we overcame but 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 it was it, it, it was uh, it was it was important and it was important to keep in mind yeah what sort of things were you arguing about can you think of any examples I mean, there were, you know, in the big picture, I guess there, there are nothing uh, big. But, it, you know, I, I think most of the time it had to do as he, he jokes with me a lot, you know, kind of Argentinians, we are, we're known for our ego, right? We are particularly from Buenos Aires. So a lot of times had to do with, with my way of, 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 of thinking. And I think it had to do also... Um, from my perspective, it had to do with the difference from Western viewpoints and Tibetan viewpoints. And, um, and, and so, you know, at the end, it's not for one to convince the other. Um, and, um, and so, you know, at the end, it, it almost entangled itself, you know. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, I guess at some points I... Um, uh, we both have our stubbornness of our how we grew up in our cultures and and then uh you know then we realize okay it's not such a big deal 
on what more important. Yeah, well, fair enough. On what sort of an issue would that culture clash have shown itself? You know, there were different ways in in how um, I don't know. Mostly, it's organizational. You know how we organize retreats, what things um, can be uh, done for free and whatnot. You know, and and how is those ex how are those exchanges how. So um, again, um, you know, I think. Yeah, I mean, there were other things, but I, I think that's fine. You don't want to go there. No. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. I, I'll ask, and you can say no. Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, if you don't mind, I might ask you some questions now about Talung Trulkor and some other uh, things of that nature. First one, Tibetan yoga, Talung Trulkor, Yantra yoga, Kumye, all these sorts of things. Tumo, movements to do with Tumo, movements to do with this, that, and the other. Can you disambiguate the various uh, terms? Uh, you mentioned that there's different sorts of chud and all this sort of thing. It seems to be the same for these movements. Can you disambiguate the various terms that are used for these Tibetan movement practices? Yeah. So I think uh, in terms of what in general it's called Tibetan yoga, the uh, Salung Trungkor, this is a calligraphy for Tenzin Wanda Rinpoche. Um, and so um, again, um, it's, it's, it's the broader category, I would say. And one of the translations would be, as I like to use, magical movements of uh, channels and winds, uh, right? Um, in itself, uh, there are also sometimes kind of two subcategories. One is Salung and one is Trungkor. And Salung was really something that um, Tenzin Wanjo Rinpoche really brought to the West in a way that um, it became, as I, as I told him once, uh, the bestseller of the teachings because they're really relatively simple and at the same time brings experiences because you're not just having the body stay still, you're using the body. And because the body brings us so many sensations and opportunity both to clear obstacles and to support our meditation, that I think these practices are, are huge. So in a way, the, the when we talk about Trunkor as a category, um, in a way, it always is Salung Trungkor. Um, so Trungkor without the Salung part is, as uh, as another teacher, uh, Mendri Ponlop Tinlinima, would say, it's like children playing, right? Um, you know, you can do all these movements, you can jump up in the air. It's not about that. If you're not really working with the Tsa and the Lung, the Tsa being the channels, the Lung being the prana, the chi, the, the breath, um, you know, it doesn't make sense. So partly it's how those bring these magical experiences. Although Trunkor itself, you know, I explain why I, I go into that translation. Um, it's, but it's really, so Trul can be machine, but also kind of magic, and core is movement um, or wheel also. So it's magical movement. So uh, that's the, the really the large category. Tumo is really one of the many practices within it. It's um, many times seen as a preparatory for it. So Tumo uh, means, um, you know, kind of, in a way, 
maybe fierce woman would be one of the translations, uh, although a, a less literal but more meaning-like could be inner heat yoga. Um, and, and again, that supports how you work with the tzan, the lung. So you have particular postures that you do to, to bring the lung, the breath, through the channels into the central channel and holding it in various ways so it brings that heat. And that heat is what allows your body to be more flexible also to then do the the trunk core. So sometimes I kind of half-jokingly call it our inner Bikram. You know, the Bikram yoga people usually put the temperature of the room at whatever, 102 or whatever it is. You know, we put ourselves in that temperature. Um, Kumnie is, is, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's always, it, it comes more from my understanding, more from the Tibetan medical tradition. And in some parts, it's more seen as a massage. In other traditions, like uh, what Tartan Tulku has taught, it's more like really slow movement. So they're almost like an inner massage as well. Um, so yeah, all of them um, are part of, I guess, that broad Tibetan yoga. But um, usually, um, my focus has been really in in the Tsalung Trungkor and particularly within um, that, um, in the ones, as you well said, in the Bern tradition. And so in the Tsalung, more from um, the Mother Tantra, the Maju, and in the Trungkor, both from the Shangchun Ninju and from the Atri. So, and um, I feel, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting as we were talking off camera before, you know, now that I'm I just kind of sent this book uh, uh, for the for the Shangshin Ninja Trunkor, and my last book was on the Atri Trunkor. It really feels kind of complete. That um, um, again, I'm not exactly sure that it's popularizing, but at least it's bringing in a way um, these practices um, in a way that are more accessible um, to people. And yet, as we always put there you know these are not to be just okay i'm reading and let me try it you know it's more okay here's the info there's ways of actually learning as as you well said for me it's with a teacher so yeah mm -hmm. yeah and you yourself offer classes on that uh, i do uh, yeah i do both online and um and uh, well, I guess now all online, but hopefully uh, starting soon back in person. Um, um, online, I have one on Ligmincha Learning on the external, internal, and secret salon. And then with Wisdom Publications, one on Trumkor, um, which is also related to the Ati Trumkor um, of the book of uh, Tibetan Yoga for Health and Wellbeing. Very excited about that your upcoming book you've written a book on tibetan yoga already but this is uh as you said and uh, coming from your right so the so the one that the wisdom it's interesting because the 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 wisdom course it's based on the trunkor from the hay house book on so from the tibetan yoga for health and well-being which is from the atri system or the instructions of the ah uh, the new book uh is uh from this is the the cover uh, is uh, 
it's on uh, it's called Tibetan Yoga Magical Movements of Body Breath and Mind and it's from the uh Changchun Ninjuro the oral tradition of Changchun mm-hmm. very exciting that's coming out it looks like in November but it's available now for pre-order on Amazon for example so I know we're almost at the end now so l- let me ask you a couple of my wildcard questions I don't know maybe we don't have enough time to talk about this but of course you've spoken and taught a lot on the movements and of course also the breath and also the use of the mind and so on uh, you make that distinction and link those together but something else that's sometimes associated with the yogic practices of tibet uh, that i'd be curious for your take on given your immersion in the source texts is the dietary uh, specific dietary restrictions or dietary regimes that a practitioner uh, will go on uh, for some period of time for practice purposes i'm curious on your reflections on that. I'm also curious, and so I'm just batching these wildcard questions together. I'm also curious on your take on the sexual practices that are sometimes discussed, and in specific, your view on semen retention in particular, uh, which is something that's sometimes discussed in these kinds of contexts. So those are the three wildcard questions, I suppose, dietary uh, regimes, sexual practice in general, and semen retention in specific. Yeah. So in terms of dietary regimes, you know, in in during in in general, both in my if we think of the Tsalum Chunkor practices, um, in general, um, there haven't been too many um, explicit dietary restrictions that my teacher said during this time do it. Sometimes. Um, during one of the retreats um, um, in Mendry Monastery, um, I was told, you know, for example, avoid garlic and onion. Um, but um, but in general, you know, and then in some for some specific days, avoid meat and you know, which I've been a vegetarian, so it was easier. Uh, but and alcohol, of course. Um, but um, so there weren't that. Now, having said that. Of course, there's a whole area of that, and particularly the area of chulen, right? These practices that also uh, sometimes are related to to these uh, to these yogas. So these kind of taking from the elements. Uh, we we know the I guess the most famous one was naropa, uh, right? Uh, sorry, milarepa. Um, and so, um, um, but. Um, I've actually learned a little bit about Chulen, and there's a, an external, uh, another Chulen that actually, as I mentioned, Punzo Wamo, Namkanobrimbuch's niece, who's a Tibetan doctor, she does this garlic Chulen that you use. And actually, uh, that, uh, that has been great. It's a, it's a Chulen, it's, a, it's with garlic and ghee, so which actually kind of changes the, the way the garlic uh, is absorbed in your body and becomes uh, positive again you have to go into what's your uh, the different humors and so forth but it's it's it can be very useful and it can also bring also support your heat so i have a, a spoon of that every morning that's what i had that's all i had this morning uh uh so far and a cup of tea um so um so i think but but in in general what i always say and what my teachers would tell me is not to be heavy uh, having eaten a lot before doing these practices, but also it's not great to have them in empty stomach, um, particularly if you're going to do a, a strenuous practice. Uh, it's better to have a little bit. So 
you know, I guess uh, maybe a little bit of tsampa would be typical. Uh, what I usually recommend and I do myself many times is I use um, oats and I put it in hot water and sometimes even just taking the water. Uh, a few, you know, just refill the water and then sometimes just eat the oats. But so something that has a little bit in, in the stomach, but not too much. And again, that's not from any text. Uh, so just want to be clear. Um, um, so so in, in, in that sense, that would be all uh, in terms of dietary. We don't have, even in our retreats, we don't have much dietary restriction. Of course, things like alcohol are out. Um, but, but other than that, um, we don't even, uh, and, and again, for some people, for example, eating meat is actually useful uh, for them. So I, I wouldn't say don't eat meat for everyone. You know, I mean, there, there's a lot of um, nuances there. In terms of uh, sexual practices, um, that's something that I've, I've never uh, been introduced to. So I don't know. I mean, I've read about them. Um, I, I, I read that in some cases, some, some authors um, include them together uh, or a la par from um, Salun Trunkor. I haven't seen that. Um, again, most of my teachers come from a monastic uh, place. So uh, again, that would be maybe one of the reasons why uh, these are not included there. Uh, some of the text I read, uh, including Shardzer and Pache, was also monastic. So, so, um, so I um, I know that they are there. Um, and in terms of semen retention specifically, um, again, it's an it's another way of of controlling. You know, I mean, we one thing that it is very clear in the in the Tibetan yoga is different to other yogas is breath retention, right? So, so if you think of kind of that um, um, more pneumatic. Uh, way of working with it. I guess the semen would be more hydraulic, um, but it might have uh, similar ways and, and you know, and particularly, again, bringing it in the retention and then the idea is to bring it back into the central channel and so forth. But again, not a practice that, um, that I've uh, learned or do. So. Thank you very much. I think we're out of time now. It's been such a fascinating conversation, Alejandro. Thank you very much. What's the best place people can get in touch with you and look at your teachings and, and see your publications? So I do have a, a website uh, that I don't uh, update as much, but it's just Ale Chaul. So usually sometimes instead of Alejandro, I just use Ale, not Ale. I know in, in your area of the world when you say ale you might think of ale here's ale i'm thinking of ale right now actually yeah <laughs> altogether dot uh, com is my website but probably ligmincha.org is probably the best in terms of what i'm doing there and i have uh, what what i'm doing now which is uh, the mind body spirit institute is mbsihouston.org so um yeah i think those are the places fantastic alejandro chow thank you very much Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for listening to another Guru Viking podcast. For more interviews like these, as well as articles, videos, and guided meditations, visit www.guruviking.com.